Gopi Janna Bhala Kiribaradhari Yashodanandana Brajajana Ranjana Yashodanandana Brajajana Ranjana Jamunatira Vanachari Jai Radha Madhava Kunjabihari Chari 
Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Krishna, 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 Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Krishna, 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 Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Krishna, 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 Hare, Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare, Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare 
Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Krishna 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 Hare 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 Ram Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare 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 Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare 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 Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare 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 Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Krishna Krishna, Krishna Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Krishna Krishna Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare 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 Krishna 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 Hare Hare Krishna, Krishna, Hare, Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare, Hare. Krishna, Krishna, Hare, Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, 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 Hare, Hare. Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Krishna 
Krishna Krishna Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare 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 Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare 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 Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Krishna Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. Ram Ram Hare 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 Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Ram Hare Ram 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 Hare Hare Jai Radha Balava Radha Balava Shri Radhe Jaya Radha Balava Radha Balava Shri Radhe Jaya Goranitai 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 Jaya Goranitai 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 Jaya Goranitai Jaya Prabhupada 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 Shila Prabhupada Nitai Gol Hari Bol Hari Bol Hari Bol Nitai Gol Hari Bol Nitai Gol Hari Bol Hari Bol Hari Bol Nitai Gol Hari Bol
Jayom Vishnupad Paramahansa Parvajakacharya Osatera Satashri Srimad, His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada Kijai. Jayam Vishnupad Paramahansa Parvajakacharya Osatera Satashri Srimad, His Divine Grace, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, Srila Prabhupada Kijai. Ananta Koti Vaishnavrinda Kijai. Namacharya Srila Haridas Thakur Kijai. Prem Shikaho Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadha Shri Vas Adi Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Kijai Shri Shri Gopinath Shri Radhakun Shamakun Giri Govadan Kijai Shri Vrindavan Dham Kijai Shri Navadweep Mayapodam Kijai Shri Daganath Puri Dham Kijai Shri Vaishnavas Kijai, Jamuna Devi Kijai, Ganga Devi Kijai, Tulsi Devi Kijai, Samaveda Bhaktavrinda Kijai. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Sri Gauranga. Go Premanandi. Hari Hari Bo. So before we begin, uh, I would like to welcome the devote the, the our friends who have come today because of the program last night. Thank you for coming. So nice to see you here. And I would just like to say that this class might be a little technical for you. And if you have any questions or anything that sounds very complex, Please uh, come and see me after the class. Okay, all right, thank you. So we're reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 11, Chapter 24, Text 51. Shama, Shonyadi, Rochishnu. Dukula, Swarna, Mekalam, Sama, Charv Angri, Janguru, Nimna, Janu, Sudarsanam, Shama, Shama, Shronyadi Rochishnu Dukula Swarna Mekalam Sama Charvangri Janguru Nimna Janu Sudarshanam Shama Shonyadi Rochishnu Dukula Swana 
Kalam, Samachar, Angri, Janguru, Nimna, Janu, Sudarshanam, Shama, Shroni, Adi, Rochisnu, Dukula, Svarna, Mekalam, Sama, Charvangri, Janguru, Nimna, Janu, Sudarshanam, Shama Shroni Adirochishnu Dukula Swarna Mekalam Samachavangri Janguru Nimna Janu Sudarshanam Shama Shroni Adirochishnu Dukala Swana Mekalam Samachar Vangri Janguru Nimna Janu Sudarshanam Shamashronia Dirochisnu Dukala Swana Mekalam Samachar Vangri Janguru Nimna Janma Sudarshanam Shama Shonadi Rochishnu Dukula Swana Mekalam Nandanguru Nimna Janma Sudarshanam Ladies Chamasrona di Rochishnu Dukulaswana Mekalam Samachavangri Janguru Nimna Janu Sudarshanam Chamasrona di Rochishnu Dukulaswana Mekalam Savachanangri Mogguru Nimna Janu Sudarshanam Shamashrona Di Rochisnu Dukulaswana Mekalam Samachanangri Mogguru Nimna Janu Sudarshanam Shamashrona Dirochisnu Dukulaswana Mekalam Samachavangri Janguru Nimna Janu Sudarshanam Shamashronia Dirochisnu Dukula Swana Mekalam 
सवाचानं विमुक्तुरु निम्नजानु सुदर्शनम् शनाशुनादि रोचिष्णु दुकुलास्वानमेकलम् समाचावंग्रिजंगुरु निम्नजानु सुदर्शनम् शामा blackish, shroni, the lower part of the waist, adi, extra, rotishnu, pleasing, dukula, garments, swarna, golden, mekalam, belt, sama, symmetrical, charu, Beautiful, angry, lotus feet, janga, calves, uru, thighs, nimna, lower, janu, knees, sudarshanam, very beautiful. So the translation of this verse in Sanskrit, um, for those who are, who are our uh, friends, um, are unacquainted with this structure, Srila Prabhupada uh, established this idea of repeating this Sanskrit verse over and over and over before we read what, what explanation he has given. He did this uh, remarkably, you can just reflect, with the intention that by the end of the class you'd memorized it. That's why many people say the verse so that it's expected. <laughs> of course, uh, at the time when he was establishing these um, routines, he was mostly dealing with young Americans and Westerners, and of course nobody memorized it. <laughs> we fumbled around over the, the Sanskrit and, and uh, struggled to stay awake sometimes. But he explained to us, even though we couldn't catch it, he explained that the sound vibration from these mantras is so subtle and it's so powerful that it works on your consciousness even if you don't understand a word of what's going on. <coughs> that's not to your credit, that's to the credit of these mantras. They're very powerful. So here is the English translation of this particular verse. The lower part of the Lord's waist is dark and covered with yellow garments and a belt bedecked with golden embroidery work. His symmetrical lotus feet and the calves, thighs and joints of his legs are extraordinarily beautiful. Indeed, the Lord's entire body appears to be well built. Please repeat. The lower part of the Lord's waist is dark and covered with yellow garments and a belt bedecked with golden embroidery work. His symmetrical lotus feet and the calves, thighs and joints of his legs are extraordinarily beautiful. Indeed, the Lord's entire body 
appears to be well built. Now, Srila Prabhupada uh, took these Sanskrit texts and he tried to give us access with a little explanation. However, for somebody who has, is unfamiliar with the contents of these books, it still might leave them feeling a little lost. But this is what he explains. Lord Shiva, who is the person who is speaking right now, Lord Shiva is one of the twelve great authorities mentioned in the Srimad Bhagavatam, that's this voluminous text. These authorities are Swayambhu, Narada, Shambhu, Kumar, Kapila, Manu, Prahlad, Janaka, Bhishma, Bali, Vyasaki or Sukadev Goswami, and Yamaraj. The impersonalists who generally worship Lord Shiva should learn of the transcendental Satchit Ananda Vigraha of the Lord. Here Lord Shiva kindly describes the details of the Lord's bodily features. Thus the impersonalists argument that the Lord has no form, there is no Supreme Lord, cannot be accepted under any circumstances. So for those who are here today uh, and weren't here yesterday, what we're reading is this in the fourth canto, or the fourth volume of the Srimad Bhagavatam, chapter 24, and we've been going through in this volume and hearing about a dynasty of kings. One king, and then we go so many hundreds and hundreds of years later, another king, and so forth. And because the vastness of the time frame, um, we hear just a little bit, and a little bit, and a little bit. And we came to the point of one king, his name was Prachinabharhi. And he had ten sons. And as the, the, the book explains, this was in a time uh, long before modern times. Long, long before. We use the example that if you go up high on a mountain and you look down below, you'll see that everything looks very tiny. Did, it get, did those things become small? As you went up the hill they became small? Or did your vision of them, your view of them become different because you have altered your stance? So similarly according to the, uh, the Bhagavatam, there are time frames, vast time frames beyond science because science is meager in its capacity. But beyond that, there are vast time frames that the whole creation, the whole material creation, that means billions and billions of planets and universes and everything, it goes through a time frame, just as we have summer, autumn, winter, spring, summer, autumn, winter, spring. It goes through a time frame and there's a satya, a period called satya yuga, in which people live vast amounts to our perception of time. But to them, it's approximately a hundred years of their time. 
And the, the, the Bhagavatam explains that for us, a good, a good amount of time, we think it's a lot of time, but a hundred years is about what you can expect to get. And people who live to be 90s, we, we think that was pretty good. And if people live to be, um, one time I saw this extraordinary tape, this uh, video of this lady in Jaipur. Now, Jaipur is in India, it's very near to uh, Vrindavan actually, and there's a wonderful temple there. And the people who come to this temple, they're full of life. It's not like kind of sober and everyone's being very thoughtful. They're full of kind of feeling and heart. And there's this lady, and it's a festival day, and they're singing a song about Krishna, and he's playing with a kite. So this lady stands up to dance, and she's got so much vibrant energy, everyone's standing around watching her, this little old lady, funny-looking little old lady, and she's dancing, and she's dancing in such a way that I, I watched the little video about five times, just looking at her, like, what is it about this lady? And she's in her 110 years old. But the vibrancy of her spirituality just, it took, her, it took off her feet. She's just flying practically. So when we see something like that, we realize that yes, there are extraordinary people who may live a long life. But most people, you know, they come in in an average range. But in this Satya Yuga, People lived a hundred thousand years of our years, which was equal to a hundred years of their years. And so the kings in that time, royal dynasties, they would send their sons to perform penance, austerities, hardships, to make them very strong in character so that they could rule. And the purpose of ruling wasn't to exploit, like you see nowadays. We have voted in this person, then that person, this person. Or we have one fixed party. But in both cases, the sentiment behind it is control and manipulate. But it wasn't like that. It was for the benefit of the citizens. Can you imagine that today? the benefit of the citizens. It's just taxing the citizens. But then it was the benefit of the citizens and the king had to have such strong character because he was becoming the father of everyone in his place, everyone in his kingdom. Not only the people, the animals, and not only was he the father and the responsible caretaker of the people and the animals, also of the trees. And the whole place, he was responsible. So before he was ready to sit on the throne and rule, he had to go and practice hardship. And he had to practice meditation because his mind had to be so firm to withstand all the challenges that would possibly come his way. And so this king, Prachinambahi, he sent his ten sons. He had ten sons, all equally capable. It wasn't one who was a little bit weaker. They were all of the same character. And he sent them off and he said, you go and you perform these kind of meditation austerities for a hundred for 10,000 years. 
So how long was that? Ten years, exactly. For ten years, you go to the forest, you live in a very austere way, and you strengthen yourself to be able to carry this responsibility on behalf of God. Not just to widen our borders and to gain power and control. But you are the father representative of God. What a weight of responsibility. So his ten sons were called the Prachetas. And they were going to do their austerity. And on the way, they came to this really, really beautiful place. There was this lake that sort of went on so far in all directions that it looked like it was the ocean. And they were quite stunned by the beauty of the place. And there were all kinds of water birds swimming and playing in this pure crystal clear water. And there were lotuses of different colors growing up through the, the, the playful birds surrounding this lake. And they all stood there and they looked they looked at the trees, and the trees were growing high and thick and full of fruits and flowers, and vines were dangling down from the trees. And the whole place was so celestially serene that they just stood there looking at this. This is beautiful. And then they heard all these drums playing, and they heard musical instruments playing, and they were looking around, and then out of the water, coming up out of the water, came Lord Shiva. Now Lord Shiva, this was Lord Shiva's place, and he had come here especially to meet these ten young men, because he knew their caliber, and he knew that they required somebody to give them the training needed so they could use this opportunity in the best possible way. And so Lord Shiva, he started to speak to them and they all folded their hands. They recognized it was Lord Shiva and everybody in India folds their hands to Lord Shiva because for one reason or another, there's a few reasons. <laughs> One is that they want something from him. They go and pray, oh, please give me, my wife is, give her, we need a sari, we need this, please give. Uh, they pray to God, please give me things. And, and Lord Shiva is a manifestation of an aspect of that supreme. He's not God-God. That's why Prabhupada used the word supreme personality of Godhead. That there is one personality, from him comes innumerable godly forms. And Lord Shiva is one of them. So most people come to him and pray, I want this, I need this, my auntie is sick, please help her to get better, uh, so many things. And because of his benevolence, he'll help them all. We're not ridiculing that. That's a valid reason to come and pray, please help me. But it's not the only reason to pray. And other people go to Lord Shiva and they think, Lord Shiva, he is in charge of this uh, Advaita meditation process in which we go to Lord Shiva and we merge into Lord Shiva. He's not a person, he's a consciousness. And we merge into him. 
And the people who think like that, come quickly boys and sit down. You're a little late. Okay. The people who think of Lord Shiva as the person who they want to merge into and make everything just one, and it's a very, very popular common philosophy in the world, um, based on worshipping Lord Shiva, they should read here, this is called the Rudra Gita, or the Song of Lord Shiva. So Lord Shiva, Hare Krishna Prabhu, please come in. Do we have another chair? Ah, coming. Please sit down, Sri Radharaman Prabhu. One of our elderly respected seniors here. <laughs> So Lord Shiva is always in the world, you'll see it on the internet, you see it everywhere, that Lord Shiva is, is, is combined in, in thought with the idea of impersonalism, no personality, you, you merge into energy source. But here Lord Shiva himself came to instruct these young men and he's not instructing them like that. He's not instructing them to take their, uh, their life and make it just a oneness. Just a oneness. So I was just thinking when I was preparing this class how most of the people in the world that I speak to, I don't speak to everyone, <laughs> but, or online you see it, they're very attracted to this impersonal idea so I thought to myself, what is it, what's attractive about that? Can anyone answer, what's attractive about that? The idea that there's no personality. We end our personality when we become divine. Okay, we've got two people here who know, what's attractive about that? No accountability. Oh, no accountability. Interesting. No service. No service. No accountability, no service. The body is giving all the problems, don't want another body or a thought, pro thought pro processor because it gives me problems as well. No conflict, no conflict. It's less complicated. It's less complicated, here we go, we're getting down to it. It's very simple. And actually I read one other, one great, uh, one of our masters, he said that um, it's also so convenient because you can sort of mix anything in with it. You can say, well, you know, animal is God, a tree is God, this is God, that's God, all, it's all God. Anything you like, you can mix it and blend it because it's neutral. I am God. Are you? <laughs> My goodness! <laughs> Then why are you limping? <laughs> there now you see the fallacy. <laughs> 
So this is, these are all true, and, and they're actually there, possibly lurking in the front or the back of our minds and thoughts as well. Uh, no conflict, no, no disharmony, I'm just, it's all nothing. Just leave it all as nothing. No oh, no authority. No authority. In today's modern age, there's no such thing as the absolute truth. You can't have, you can't, it's, it's, it's what do you call it, culturally unacceptable. Absolute truth. There's no final point that this is true and you should accept it. No. I believe this, you believe that, he believes this, he believes that. That's your absolute truth, your absolute truth. It's not absolute. It's relative truth. He thinks he's God, and I don't think he's God. <laughs> so that's relative truth, but absolute truth means that everyone should accept it. It's true. It's the final point of truth. So how many people in the world today are looking for that? You might not find very many. You might not find that this is a popular uh, selling item. You might find that most people just want to keep unruffle, make it simple, and so on. And the interesting part is that I remember talking to my mother, who was a, a simple Christian uh, upbringing, and talking to her and explaining some of the intricacies of this Vedic theology. And she said, oh, oh Christianity is so much simpler. And I said, yes, yes, I know, but this is also... And eventually, gradually, she began to open her mind to a broader spiritual perspective. Starting from the idea that actually I may be spiritual rather than just this outer body. I may be the, the within spirit. I don't know anything about myself. I, I assume I'm sort of like energy only. But I may be there. And then slowly, slowly, slowly she took steps forward until she could understand. But how did she do it? The key thing that helped her to do it was what? What do you think? Chanting. 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 It was quite remarkable because her mental faculty said, no, no, this is too much. <laughs> this is your idea, not my idea. And I said, okay. Uh, and we started to chant and she started chanting. And as she started chanting, it was funny. It was as if some, something opened up in her consciousness. And then things started to go in. And it was remarkable because she wasn't intending it. Like, we're here because we want to be here. She was just here because I was dragging her along. Uh, but something went in. So back to our text. We're speaking about this song that Lord Shiva sung to these young men. He came out of the water and he told them, and we heard this yesterday, he said, I'm going to tell you now something. Please listen to it with full attention. And they did. He said, I shall now chant one mantra, it's 33 verses long by the way, <laughs> which is not only transcendental, pure and auspicious, but it is the best prayer for anyone who is aspiring to attain the ultimate absolute goal of life. When I chant this mantra, he told the young men, please hear it carefully 
and attentively. And then he began. Now, in this, with this, uh, there's, a ver there's a word in the Sanskrit language called a stotra. A stotra means like you'd say a long prayer. So within this, this long prayer, there are first of all eight verses in which he addresses, he offers his respects, offers his obeisances, he bows down in his mind to that supreme truth, that absolute truth. And Lord Shiva here, he's the master of this impersonalism and he's not being impersonal. He's being very personal. He's dealing with personalities. He's not dealing with nothing. And so he begins his prayers. And his first prayer, we're not going to go through them because 33 of them is a lot. <laughs> but his first prayer, he prays to the Lord who is within everyone. Everyone has, you could say, a representative form of the Lord in their heart. Everyone. Any living being has that, even a tree or an animal. Because he travels with you everywhere. And he is simply there waiting for when you want to turn to him and ask his help to understand him. So he's very patient with us. <laughs> So he first offers his obeisances, his head, to that supreme living being, and he gives a little description. And then he goes on. Now this is where we get a little bit technical. But Lord Shiva is so exalted, he's a very top, very topmost personality. Not the top top, but he's quite high up there, so he's looking down on the management, you could say, of the material creation, everything, from a perspective of transcendence. And so he then starts to offer his respects and obeisances to four different personalities who are the same personality. Now if that's not confusing, <laughs> we'll continue. So he offers his obeisances to what are called the chatur, that means four in, in Sanskrit, the chatur vyuha. Vyuha means like arms or different directions. And these four personalities, uh, they are presiding deities of all gross and subtle elements, everything that we can perceive, and our perception faculties. Are governed by their power. Now, this is like, what? <laughs> I'm me and I do what I want with whatever I want. But as we awaken to a deeper understanding of spiritual, subtle, spiritual essence, we begin to, begin to find out that actually our bodies and our minds are very much controlled. They're very much controlled. And the controlling elements, they can be just the things that are going on around us and the, the ups and downs of life. But if we come higher up, we find that in God is actually very much in control. So these are the forms. Vasudev, 
He is the deity or the form of God. This is a supreme form, not a kind of a made-up thing. He is the God of consciousness. So he offers first his respects to this personality who gives us our consciousness. And these forms are all one. They're not like a different one here, one there. That's very confusing. But you can see that if you want to manage something, you have to have different departments. And you have to have people to manage those departments. And if you're going to the highest point of understanding, you might find, for example, this is a crude example, you have somebody in charge of a company, he'll make his brother in charge of this, this and this, and his son in charge of that, because he feels they're like one with him, will be of the same mind. So that supreme person can expand unlimitedly into these forms. Vasudev is in charge of, as I mentioned, the deity of consciousness. So he offers respects to him and prays that his consciousness may be uh, purified. Shankarshan, the second one, he is the deity of false ego. And in a technical way, it is explained that he is responsible for integration and disintegration. You are the origin of the subtle material ingredients, the master of all integration as well as the master of all disintegration. Now I cannot speak deeply on this, I can only repeat, I'm afraid. But this is Shankarshan. And then he offers obeisances or respects to Pradumna, who is the third of these f figures, and he is the deity over intelligence. Our intelligence is, is under his jurisdiction. So he speaks a little bit about him, but very quickly he goes to the last of these four, whose name is Aniruddha. Anyone heard that name around here? <laughs> so this form of Aniruddha, he is the deity of the mind. So this is really interesting. This is what Lord Shiva is encouraging these young men when they start off with their practice, he's telling them that they should offer their respects to the supreme directing deity known as Aniruddha. You are the master of the senses and the mind. And so it is explained that he can help them to engage the mind in the service of God. It is also indicated that he prays Lord Shiva to Aniruddha to be kind to him, so that his mind will always be in the perfect state of cleanliness and will be engaged in the devotional service of the Lord. Just as fire sterilizes all unclean things, the sun or Aniruddha keeps everything sterilized, especially dirty things within the mind thus enabling one to attain elevation to the platform of spiritual understanding. He continues to speak about Aniruddha for quite a few verses. He explains that energy he prays to him to give him the strength so that he can become free from all obligations and, and that he can completely engage himself in the service of the Lord. And Aniruddha, he says, is the energy by which one can engage in devotional service. 
And then he offers his respects to the whole gigantic universal creation. Everything. He says, you, my Lord, he's not offering us respects <coughs> in an impersonal way, I offer respects to everything. He's saying, I'm offering respects to the Lord who is behind the whole creation. My Lord, you are the gigantic universal creation which contains all individual bodies. You are the maintainer of the three worlds, and as such you maintain mind, senses, body, and air of life within them. I therefore offer my obeisances unto you. <coughs> so he continues. This is what he's teaching them. It might be over our heads, but it wasn't over their heads. So uh, he's speaking on their level. So he's teaching them. You make all these respects before you start to uh, approach your supreme uh, intention. So in the next verses, he then says, he describes more things. You are death, you are the condition, miserable conditions of life as well as the happy conditions of life. You are everywhere. And then he asks, he starts to think, uh, to, to see this form to see this supreme form. He's spoken about this personality who's controlling everything through expansions of themselves. It's beyond our power to understand. And then he says, I wish to see you exactly in the form that your very dear devotees worship. This is Lord Shiva speaking. This is the important part. Lord Shiva is saying, I want to see you in the form that those who love you worship. He's not saying, I want everybody to merge into nothing. <laughs> He's not saying that. So we're followers of Lord Shiva, we wear this horizontal tilak. Should we also with our horizontal tilak also be saying, I want to see the form that you Lord Shiva worship rather than, I want to annihilate my individuality. And that's very important to understand, because when we want everything to become nothing, that means we become nothing. We become nothing. We don't become me in nothing, we also become nothing. <laughs> because we're part of everything. So who really wants to become nothing? We might like say, it would be very peaceful, so I'd like to experience a bit of nothing. But no, you can't be there, because you're a second. There's nothing in you. That's two. <laughs> nothing means nothing. One. So therefore, actually, Lord Shiva explains that it's a terrifying experience to become nothing. It's not welcome. It's better to become healed. It's better to become healed. It's better to learn about divine authority and to feel the, the relief that that brings to your life. It's better to understand that there's a master of my mind and if I can turn there in some way or another, I can find an avenue there, then it could heal my mind and it could make me whole. And if it made me whole, then what would I do? Then I would want to see that person. Who did that? 
So he says, you have many other forms, but I wish to see your form that is especially liked by the devotees. Please be merciful unto me and show me that form, for only that form worshipped by the devotees can perfectly satisfy all the demands of the senses. I like that word, demands of the senses, right? We all are aware of that. You know, I, I, I'm full but I'm eating, or I'm talking, I don't know what I'm saying, you know. I'm sleeping and I'm not tired, you know, I'm doing all kinds of things. The demands of the senses. I would love to be able to become free of that and be the master of the senses, not the person who's dominated by them. So, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to go in any depth with any of these wonderful verses. I smile when I say that. I apologize. <laughs> I'd love to, but I can't because there's 33 of them. So, but you yourselves should read. For those who don't have the Srimad Bhagavatam in their homes, read it online. It's available. But you should read and you should stumble over the funny words if you're not Indian, <laughs> and, and gradually get used to them. And ask people, what does this word mean? And they'll tell you. And gradually you build up a vocabulary so you can speak the language that is being spoken here. It's possible. Then he starts to be, describe that form. He's meditating on that form. I want to see that person. And this is where we started today with our verse. So let me read you, I'll read you these verses that are a description of that supreme form. The Lord's beauty resembles a dark cloud during the rainy season. And as the rainfall glistens, his bodily features also glisten. Indeed, he is the sum total of all beauty. The Lord has four arms and an exquisitely beautiful face with eyes that are shaped like lotus petals and a beautifully highly raised nose and a mind-attracting smile. A beautiful forehead and equally beautiful and fully decorated ears. He continues, he continues his own description. The Lord is super excellently beautiful on account of his open and merciful smile and his sidelong glances upon his devotees. How many people here know how to talk with their eyes? Lots of people know how to talk with their eyes in India. Sometimes I practice, you know, when I'm alone and no one can see me. He says, practice, you know, you go, go that way, and you go, up there, and you go, no. And you, you can do it with your eyes, it's kind of really interesting. And then if there's somebody that you want to say something to, there's a whole bunch of people and you don't want to say it to them, you want to say it to them, you sort of look over like this. You must all know how to talk with your eyes, so you go like this. <laughs> and, and that person gets it, and they go, yeah, yeah, got it. You all know how to talk with your eyes. <laughs> you should practice talking with your eyes. She likes to talk with her eyes. 
because it's a really wonderful language. You don't have to say anything. When I went to live in Vrindavan, you know, I'm a Westerner, so I'm very sort of like this. You know, we, we don't talk with our eyes, we kind of talk with our body. And uh, then when the rainy, the rainy, the, the, the summer season came, it was, a, my, it was a village at that time, and I was sort of so hot, it was so hot. And I went one time down to the bazaar, and I had my umbrella, and it was really hot, and I wrapped a piece of wet cloth around my head, thinking that would help, but it didn't. And I'm walking along, and oh, it's so hot. Uh, I was new. And I, I noticed I went to somebody's shop, and everyone's sleeping. They're not shops like with doors closed and front, they have no front. They're just like open cubicles, one after another, and they put some white cloth on the ground over the mattresses to make it soft, and they sit there. So what happens, of course, it's cold in the winter, it's hot in the summer. And they're all sitting there and uh, you know, there was one or two people, I, I knew them a little bit. And so I, I walked by and I go, oh, it's so hot. And they go. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then I go, are you open? They go. <laughs> and then I say, how much, are, are those for sale? And they did all these little tiny mannerisms. And that mannerism, everyone knew that mannerism. Uh, and I was thinking, that, they're funny people. You know, they just go this, like that. <laughs> but it was so hot that I realized they're so economical, they're so intelligent. <laughs> I'm exhausting myself with my... <laughs> and they're just going like that and, you know. <laughs> and then it's like... You know what that means? You know, like, look at this one, oh dear. And this is like, ah. <laughs> and they talk to their kids like that, too. <laughs> so it was so interesting to me to look at this other culture that had, had, it had a, a trail, it left a trail to this Vedic culture. It was no longer deeply connected because modernization had already begun, but you could see remnants of this culture still in parts of India. In other parts you can't see it so clearly, it's confusing. And Srila Prabhupada one time he said that India is like a cow. He said uh, you can get milk from a cow, you can make so many products with the milk, it's nourishing and refreshing and so forth. He said, uh, and even when the cow dies, you get the leather from the cow and you can make shoes, you can make bags, you can make so many things from the contribution of the cow. And if you want to, you can eat the meat of the body of the cow. The cow's giving so many things. And he said, so he said, Vedic culture is like a cow. He said, alive or dead, the Vedic culture is valuable. So I always remember that when I go to India and I see the, the kind of shaggy modern India that prides itself on catching up to the world. <laughs> I go, what are you doing? <laughs> you're supposed to lead the world <laughs> in a different direction and you're running behind them. You're supposed to lead them. You have the spiritual knowledge that the world is desperately in need of and instead you're wagging your bottom to get up behind in the, in the world's ways. So this is a little way that we chastise our fellow Indians. <laughs> that They must become serious about their own culture.
and not so absorbed and, and almost addicted to westernization because it's not going to help you very much. Yeah, you may become rich, you may be able to build, build a house you like and your children may grow up and be obedient or not. Uh, but it won't, in the end, it won't give you the satisfaction that your culture is meant to give to the world. So Lord Shiva, he continues. He says, His black hair is curly and his garments are waving in the wind. They're waving in the wind, his cloth. And it looks like flying saffron pollen. If anyone's ever seen saffron, it's an orangey color. So it looks like the pollen of saffron. His garments, as they gently wave in the wind. His glittering earrings, his shining helmet, his bangles and garlands and ankle bells, and his waist belt, and other ornaments combine with, now remember we heard he has four hands, four arms. This is a Vishnu form. This is not Krishna himself. This is the, the, the expanding from Krishna. But this is the form that Lord Shiva is worshipping. His forearms, not two arms, he has forearms because with two arms he's going to lovingly take care of the devotees. So in those arms he holds what? A conch and a lotus flower. The lotus is so sweet and the conch is very, when you hear a conch shell it's like, whoa! <laughs> So he has these two in his upper arms. In the other two arms he has what? A club and a chakra. A chakra is like a whirling, it's almost like some kind of a blade and some kind of a saw that can just go and destroy your enemies. So these two are to pr for protection and these two are for giving love. And this is the understanding of what is the, that Supreme Godhead. He's a giver of protection and love to everyone. And if we learn that this is higher than the bliss of impersonalism, then we too can open up our hearts and say, yes, I want protection also. I want love also. I want my consciousness to become cleared. I want these things. They're mine. I don't want them because somebody else has them. They actually belong to me. They're covered over right now. As a, as, as a course of my activities, they're covered over. I wish them to become opened again. Then he says, just to complete this, he says, to increase the natural beauty, his natural beauty, there is a beautiful Kostaba pearl on his chest. So there's a very special ornament that the Lord wears. It's called a Kostaba jewel and it has these mystical qualities about it. It can change color, it can show him things and it, he wears this around his neck. 
So then we come to the verse that we, we started with, and that described his waist belt and how his legs were very beautiful. And then Lord Shiva completes this section, this is the second section of the Rudra Gita, by saying that your feet emanate such an effulgence that they immediately dissipate, they remove all the darkness in the heart of a, co a conditioned soul. A conditioned soul means a person who's under the condition of forgetfulness. They immediately remove that from your heart. My dear Lord, Lord Shiva says, kindly show me that form of yours which always dissipates all kinds of darkness in the heart of a devotee. You are the supreme spiritual master of everyone. Therefore all conditioned souls covered with the darkness of ignorance can become enlightened by you as their spiritual master. So we'll stop here for today and tomorrow we'll complete this uh, Rudra Gita uh, in a, a very abbreviated form, I apologize. But if anyone has any questions, anything they would like further elaboration on, I'd be happy to share. Are you asking a question? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Brahmakund. <laughs> you mentioned in the beginning, you know, who is interested in knowing the absolute truth. Yes. Um, so I just wanted to know, you know, why would, why is it important to know the absolute truth? You know, why one should be interested in knowing the absolute truth? Well, all our suffering, actually, if you see, if you analyze it, you sit down and you figure out why am I suffering. Well, I'm suffering because um, uh, so many reasons, right? We all have our own reasons. So I'll make some up. I'm suffering because I don't have enough money. I'm suffering because I'm in a broken relationship. I'm suffering because uh, my parents are not kind to me. I'm suffering because, 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 because. We have our itinerary why we're suffering right now. But a person who becomes thoughtful they start to see around them, other people are also suffering for all different kinds of reasons. Is there a space or a place beyond suffering? Is there a space or a place beyond the effects of time? Like I'm in my mid-70s right now and when I was young I looked at people who were my age and I felt really sorry for them but I looked away as quickly as possible <laughs> because I thought wow that poor guy you know look I was going into a supermarket one time and I saw this man he was a little in front of me and I was in a hurry and he was shuffling and he was wearing slippers and he was shuffling like this moving forwards and I'm like get out of the way you know these people have to do things and then I stopped for a minute because it, it felt rather unkind and I looked at him again and with some knowledge of the absolute truth I realized, wow, one day that's going to be me. I'm going to get old like that. Maybe not looking with my slippers on in the supermarket, <laughs> but I'm going to get old as well. But I really never thought it would happen kind of so fast. And 
And then the other, so this one thing is under the influence of time, you're moved forward in a queue towards the end of your life. And when you look back at a certain point, it seems like it was really fast. When you look forward, it seems like forever. But retrospectively, isn't it? It looks like that was really fast. So that can make a person think, is there anything beyond this? Is this it? And if you want to know what's beyond this, you have to take a search, right? And so you're looking for, if you, if you have the right uh, guidance, you're looking for something that doesn't change. That's only, it, it, it only enhances, it only gets more wonderful. It's full of a variety of wonderful things and there's no sad ending to it. And people who are feeling like that are actually consciously or unconsciously looking for the absolute truth. But without any education, you don't know that's what you're looking for. You just think, I'm looking for paradise, or I'm looking for relief, or I'm looking for something. But you're actually already starting to look for that absolute truth, the place where everything is harmonized. Not wiped out, including you, but harmonized in the most amazing way. That's the absolute truth. So no, not everybody's looking for the absolute truth consciously, but a lot of people looking for it unconsciously. And most people are preoccupied with the current affairs, right? And they're onto their, their mobiles looking at what's happening in this country and that country and the economy and work situation. Now this has happened and that's come in and that's... So they're very, very distracted with the things of the moment. But if they stop for a little while, if they reflect for a little while, they realize that their real difficulty is this, the passing of time. I can't keep anything. I had a baby and I thought, wow, I want to have a baby. When you're young, oh, it's so nice to have a baby. I had a baby. But then in a year, the baby was walking. And now she's sitting over there. <laughs> Uh, so she's not a baby anymore, but I liked having a baby. And I had an auntie who liked babies so much that she kept having one until she had ten of them. She didn't like so much when they grew up and they were unruly, but she liked babies. So that she couldn't have them as babies. There's so many things you can't have. So that's when you start realizing that there's more to life than just current affairs that are always changing. And current affairs of 200 years ago and current affairs of 100 years ahead and blah, 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 blah. That's always just going on. That will be there and we have to manage that. We're not pushing that away. But that can't be everything. If that's everything, no wonder people commit suicide. No matter that, no wonder that suicide is the highest killer of young people. Why wouldn't you? There's no meaning. And it's miserable. And anyway, you're nothing, so you might as well just chop off your head. No problem. And we say that's a very, very, very unfortunate situation in the world. And that people should be given this opportunity to understand these things. Is that okay? <laughs> Any other questions?
There's another one coming. Hare Krishna, Mataji. Thank you for the nice class. Mataji, you told us how you were preaching to your mother, and she said that Christianity is so simple. So I'd like to ask, even I was talking to one of my friends who's a Christian, and she she likes praying, she likes going to the church, and she said the same thing, that Christianity is so simple. simple. Yes. And, um... If we just say once that, oh Jesus, we surrender to you, then we go to a higher level. So what's the point of meditating and rising early in the morning? So what should we say to them? Well, I I usually say to somebody, even like my mother, I used to say, that's really good. It is simple. It's been made simple for you. Um, You should follow it very deeply. You should be a good Christian. Right, because it's the same God. It's not that they're going to one one God and we're going to another God. That's a misunderstanding. There's one God, but He appears in many innumerable forms to bring people to Him. So He appears in a form for those who are worshiping in this on this path. But be dedicated to that path, and you should get up early in the morning too and pray. Right? I'm getting up early in the morning and praying, and you're praying to Jesus. You should get up early in the morning and pray to Jesus. Yeah? They don't all have to become on one path, but they have to be genuine on the path that they've discovered. Sometimes we think, because everybody thinks like this, anybody in any path or anything, even any football club, thinks, my football club is the best, right? And all those unfortunate people, they're in those football clubs, but mine is the best. And similarly, there's a little bit of sectarianism that automatically slips into any spiritual path as well, automatically. It's unavoidable that you think, my spiritual path is the best. And so those, those people over here and these ones over here, they're nowhere. Only we're the ones who have it. But Srila Prabhupada did explain something else. He said that Christianity is simpler. That's like, a, you know when you go to school? If you need a dictionary at school, you can have a little dictionary like this, right? And you've got all the main words are in it. You can get by. But if you become like a PhD student, I have a dictionary at home that's this big and that thick. It's a huge dictionary. So that's for somebody who's studying PhD. They need a big, big dictionary to understand the subject. But you don't need that, you just need a little one. So Christianity is like that. You've got the essence there, but it's in a simple form. But if you become very eager to understand these things, to go deeply into them, you want to take it to a university level of of interest, then the big dictionary is, is very valuable. So you're studying the big dictionary. You have to study it nicely as well. Yes. Wait, uh, Russell, can we give this one first? No, no, you take first. Russell will take anyway. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I just was compelled to say I've been reading the um, King of Knowledge, which which says a lot about that one ultimate God. King of Knowledge. You've been reading the King of Knowledge? Yeah, just that little book. Yes, yes. And um, it's a great relief to me because I was brought up a Catholic and I have a lot of... um, 
deeply entrenched uh, origins of my faith through that, and that's mm. helped me to deepen my belief in one God. There you go. So it can be, it's not like it's simpler, but that this um, Prabhupada's brought me a deeper understanding yes. of my God. Yes. Yeah. That's so it doesn't the, matter yeah. which. Yes. He said, I mean, I just read it last night, he said, doesn't matter yeah. Um, yes. what you call that God. I mean, ultimately, it's Krishna, yeah. um, and it's one God. Well, Krishna is a name. Yeah, Thank you. Sorry, sorry, Thank you. Yeah. That was beautiful to hear from you. you. Yeah, it's not simpler like we say, oh, that's just simple. You know, we know. Not like that, but it's simplified for a different group of people, ultimately. Jesus is speaking to a certain group of people and his, his words are recorded and through history they're probably slightly altered, we can assume, because his, you know, time changes things a little bit here and there. But this message is the same. It's, it's develop your love, surrender to God, he will take care of you. Um, the, the thing that the Bhagavatam does, it's a technical book, it would tell you, you know what he looks like? Do you know where he lives? And we're like, what? <laughs> I go, simple, you know, he's God, he's up there somewhere, I'm down here, I'm doing everything I want to do, and he's up there, and he, he sort of helps me. But the Bhagavatam will say, no, no, he's, I'll tell you about where he lives. Yes, that's beautiful. And that's like, whoa, <laughs> you know. We couldn't imagine that. At least I couldn't have when I was growing up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Rasa. Um, Mataji, if you had to summarize yes. for us listeners, one, your main point for us to take away, what would that be? Of the whole Rudra Gita? Of, of this morning's class. Of this morning's class. It would be that I wouldn't, I'd have to paraphrase it rather than summarize it, but it would be that Lord Shiva is telling us to bow down, to bow down to the presiding form of God that is in charge of our consciousness, that's in charge of our intelligence, that's in charge of our actions, and that's in charge of our mind. Bow down. And then he's telling us, and I'll tell you what he looks like. I'll tell you about this divine form who's so beautiful. And if we meditate on that divine person, our lives will be transformed. It's the only word I can think of. It won't happen overnight, by the way. We're not doing a kind of a, you know, um, fast sell. But definitely your life will be transformed if you bow down in this way. That's what Lord Shiva is telling us through this song that he's singing. Any other questions? Do you have a question? You have a microphone, but not a question. <laughs> Do you want to hand it? There we go. I think we've... Oh, okay, Prabhu. Yeah. Hare Krishna, Mataji. Are you still God? <laughs> Thank you for a wonderful class. Yeah, I want to tell you that this is not my saying, I am God. It is the impersonalist. They are telling me on oh. the phone also. On the phone also. Good. That okay. you are God and I am God, both. <laughs> so okay. I said, no, there is only one God. And we are invincible servants. 
Infinitesimal servants. That's right. Infinitesimal servants. Infinitesimal is very small. It's like infinite, infinite is very big and infinitesimal is very small. Very tiny, very tiny. And we always need protection, his protection. Always need protection. So we can never become God. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, I was about five years old. And my mother used to say that if you don't become a devotee of Lord, you can become anything like dog or cat or anything. And she used to say, Punrapi Janini, Jatri Shainam, Trai Murare, Trai Murare. So, what does that it, mean in English? The meaning is that you have to go to another womb after leaving this body. So if you don't want to be, go into another womb, you must remember Krishna. Mm. And that's the only way you can get out. Mm. So from that time, that's why I'm here. Mm. Thank yeah, you. Very nice. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Prabhuji grew up in Agra, Agra, yeah, North India. So his mother was very strict with him. <laughs> She, yeah, very close to Vrindavan and his mother knew the philosophy. So she's warning him, if you don't become a devotee, then you will have to take another birth. And you don't know what kind of birth that may be, because you don't know what might flow through your thoughts at the time that you're about to de depart from this world. You might think of your pet cat, who you loved when you were five years old. And you might be thinking, cat, 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 and boom, you might end up as a cat. Very mysterious. So he became serious. Very mysterious and he became serious. <laughs> Thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Yeah, but I just want to get out of the range of the camera. <laughs> Turn off the camera. Turn off the camera. Good, thank you. Okay. Yes, please. But it's a limited version. Yeah. It's limited version, it's not that, it's just a limited version, because he's not visible. Yeah. It's interesting, I read that this morning, he said that Brahman is a limited, limited because it has no form, and Paramatma is limited because you cannot see his form. Just 